I understand people don't want to see it, but closing your eyes to something doesn't make it less real. And if this guy is really who his party plans to coalesce behind once Trump is out of the picture, then we need to be clear-eyed about what the Republican Party not only supports in Florida, but would unleash on the entire country. Hello, and welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. Almost two years ago, I did a rant in my kitchen about how the Republicans were beta testing fascism in Florida. I compared Ron DeSantis to one of those raptors in Jurassic Park, the ones who test the fence for weaknesses. I said, if you were paying attention, you could see that Ron was seeing how far he could push things before he got pushed back. And now, if you look at what's happening in Florida, you can see that they found a fair amount of weaknesses in democracy's fence. So I thought today we would take some time to talk about what's going on in Florida, the warning signs we should be aware of, the legislation that's being jammed through, and the man leading it all, who, despite his complete lack of personality and interest in democracy, is at the top of the GOP list for President of the United States, right under their twice-impeached, criminally-indicted ex-president, who, for reasons unknown, still remains their frontrunner. With all the terrible, harmful bills passing in red states across the country, the ones that limit our votes and our human rights and lead hard into the culture wars that Republicans use so strategically to distract us from their complete lack of policy or ability to solve problems, Florida, despite Texas and now Tennessee's best efforts, remains top of the list for violating citizens' rights and calling it freedom. DeSantis's slogan for Florida is, Freedom Lives Here. But much like the Republicans saying they're the party of pro-life or the party of law and order, the truth is almost the exact opposite. Yes, you are absolutely free to do almost anything you want to do in Florida if what you want to do is carry guns everywhere, ignore health and safety standards, and live within or promote the straight white Christian supremacist ideology. If, however, you believe in something else or identify as anything other, then Florida is not a particularly safe or free place. As DeSantis so proudly said at his recent inauguration, Florida is where woke goes to die. And according to him, we ain't seen nothing yet. I think we need to remember that Ron DeSantis only came to power because he was such a pathetic bootlicker to Trump that he oozed his way into the governor's office by the sheer power of pandering. His campaign ads were a literal love letter to the ex-president, teaching his children how to stack blocks by saying, build the wall reading a Make America Great Again sign as if it was a Dick and Jane primer reader, and telling the story of Trump's apprentice catchphrase, you're fired, as if it was akin to JFK saying, ask not what your country can do for you. DeSantis only won his first election by about 30,000 votes. But four years later, after leading the nation in rigid voter suppression laws, anti-protest laws, stand-your-ground laws, and probably most importantly, redrawing the congressional maps himself, while monitoring blue districts and voters and injecting police and prosecutions into elections, DeSantis and the Republican Party have taken the once purple swing state deep into red territory. The corruption in Florida is so overt, you wonder how it's legal. And some of it definitely isn't, because DeSantis is regularly challenged in court, with some of his most egregious laws being overturned. But by then, much of the damage is already done. DeSantis has already cracked down hard on free speech and freedom of the press. He signed anti-protest laws, anti-mob laws, the always classic feel-free-to-hit-a-protester-with-your-car law. In Florida, you can now be arrested and held without bail if you are considered for any reason to be a violent protester. 
DeSantis cut funding to shooting victims while signing a permitless concealed carry law against the will of the majority of the people in his state, including law enforcement. Florida's passed almost 20 new laws targeting the trans community, including banning gender-affirming care for all youth against the recommendation of their doctors and attempting to ban insurance coverage of transition-related medical care for adults. He's banned critical race theory and the teaching of African-American history. He's made it illegal for any school board member to promote the teaching of racism in school. And he rolled out a mandatory survey for anyone in college and universities to report their political views to the state. He claims he's doing this to ensure places of higher learning don't become socialist factories. But no one knows how the information is going to be used, and he's offered no promise of confidentiality or protections against partisan targeting. It should feel quite startling for the party of small government to suddenly want people on lists. DeSantis claims this particular law solves a viewpoint diversity problem, where conservative or right-wing students and faculty are being silenced by the liberal agenda. He says it was a pressing issue that needed addressing. But even for the Republican Party, whose strategy has always been to create a problem and then rush in to solve it with legislation no one needed but they actually wanted, this move was a stretch. We already have First Amendment rights to protect free speech. Florida didn't need Ron to create an extra level of protection for Republicans, unless this list of people's affiliations isn't really about viewpoint diversity at all, but having a list of enemies or knowing which colleges or programs might need defunding because they're teaching things you don't want them to teach. We have to remember that DeSantis also wants colleges and universities to send a list of teachers, programs, and resources that have anything to do with diversity, equity, or inclusion, or what he deems as critical race theory. DeSantis has already asked for a list of students who have sought any form of gender-affirming care at their state universities, and he's put out what he calls a target list of school board members he believes should be removed for their supposed woke ideologies. So while DeSantis claims that conservative voices are being silenced, he's actually using the power of the government to silence liberal and diverse voices, while targeting students and teachers who are or teach things he doesn't personally agree with. He's literally taking over a tiny liberal arts college in Sarasota by changing the board of trustees and the curriculum because it's too open-minded and it's been corrupted by woke nihilism. And while DeSantis has made it very clear that he, the government, gets to be in charge of everyone else's business, he's made it equally clear that anything he does should be completely private. As we speak, Governor DeSantis and Republican lawmakers are trying to roll back Florida's sunshine laws. The sunshine laws are the reason we always hear so many Florida man stories, because Florida has historically been a place where reporters and any curious member of the public has the right to access public records. The government in the Sunshine Law provides that any records made or received by any public agency in the course of official business were to be available for inspection unless specifically exempted by the Florida legislature. Over the years, lawmakers have tried to add a bunch of exemptions so that people wouldn't know what they were doing. But the Florida voters approved a number of constitutional amendments, making it harder for legislators to pass those exceptions. And then along came Ron DeSantis. Now the Florida House GOP are advancing a bill, backed by DeSantis, to make it easier to sue the media for defamation and make it harder for people to post things on the internet about public officials and employees. On paper, this law plays into the MAGA narrative that the media are the enemy of the people or on the side of the Democrats and liberals. But in reality, 
The law makes everyone, from journalists to bloggers, risk a felony charge if they post anything about the Florida government. DeSantis has been quoted saying, if you don't do your homework and you smear somebody, then you're going to be held accountable for that. And I think everyone would agree that we would love to see less media disinformation. We'd love to know if you say or print something untrue or slanderous that you would be held accountable. But since lies and propaganda have become the currency of the right, I mean, look no further than what's coming out of discovery from the Fox News Dominion lawsuit, I think it's reasonable to say that holding people accountable for their lies isn't actually Ron's agenda with these bills. If it was, he would be against the endless slander of people like Hunter Biden. This law is more about Republicans being able to use potential litigation to stop people from looking into things they don't want them looking into. DeSantis is attempting to undercut a Supreme Court decision from 1964 that shielded news outlets from libel judgments. DeSantis wants to make it easier to sue news organizations, including making anonymous sources false for the purpose of a defamation lawsuit, which would essentially end protected sources and whistleblowers. Now, you might remember that Nixon was brought down by an anonymous source called Deep Throat. That's the kind of action Ron would like to avoid. This law also says that any accusation of racial, sexual, or gender discrimination should be seen as intrinsically defamatory and worthy of legal ramifications. So if you accuse someone of racial, sexual, or gender discrimination, even if it's true, the law says we should be able to assume you're lying and sue you. This would have the effect of silencing anyone who had less money than the person they're accusing. The truth would no longer be the point. Just making or printing the claim, you would be assumed to be lying and open to a lawsuit. Barbara Peterson, the executive director of the Florida Center for Government Accountability, says that these kind of provisions, which, by the way, are the first in the nation, will have the result of severely limiting free speech and freedom of the press, which I think we can all reasonably assume is exactly the goal. In fact, in DeSantis's first year in office, Republican lawmakers expanded the list of personal details that were forbidden to be disclosed about certain public officials. Last year, DeSantis signed a law shielding information about applicants who wanted to become presidents of state colleges and universities. This year, roughly five dozen bills have been filed proposing more government exemptions to transparency laws. One of those bills would prohibit the agency that provides security for DeSantis from disclosing the governor's travel arrangements at any time, even after the fact. So DeSantis could go anywhere and do anything on the public's dime, and the public would have no right to know, ever. The law would also allow DeSantis to hide his expenditures so the taxpayers and the press couldn't track how much was being paid and for what. So state funds could be paying for campaign events, for book tours, whatever. These laws would essentially make the state's money DeSantis's personal piggy bank. And all of this should feel deeply suspect to you. Just like it's deeply suspect that Ron put his own wife in charge of the state's fundraising efforts after Hurricane Ian. Casey DeSantis holds no formal position on the board of Volunteer Florida, the tax-exempt state commission which was supposed to manage the fund. And while Florida sought most of their help from FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, which gave them over $2 billion, Ron kept pushing on the importance of private donations to the fund managed by his wife. As of now, the governor's office seems to have no publicly available list of how the $60-plus million fund is allocating its money. Aside from a couple public donations and photo ops, what's going on with it or what banks are holding the money is largely unknown. 
DeSantis already had laws in place to limit any oversight from large donors, so it's particularly hard to track where the money goes. And although Volunteer Florida has a transparency page, the Casey DeSantis Disaster Fund does not. Since he's been in office, DeSantis has spent his time and political capital moving towards less and less transparency to get as close as he can to answering to no one and to nothing. Earlier this year, a Tallahassee judge upheld his claim of executive privilege after he refused to turn over information regarding his screening of potential Supreme Court nominees after they were requested under the state's public record laws. The case is currently under appeal because the state constitution has no mention of executive privilege. But like I said before, the damage is already done because the judge in question is already on the court. The DeSantis administration just continues to slow the press and public's access to public records, delaying their release by weeks or months. Another bill filed this year would require bloggers to file reports with the state if they are paid to write about the governor, lieutenant governor, cabinet members, or legislative officials. Currently, DeSantis says he doesn't support that bill, but the bottom line is his administration is making it harder and harder for anyone, including reporters, to know what the government is doing, where it's going, who it's speaking to, and it makes it far more difficult to hold the government accountable for any of its actions. And of course, this is all good if what you're going for is bad. The Republican Party has clearly become more than just a little authoritarian curious, and you can see it on clear display in Florida. Ron is essentially running the state much like a dictator would, making blanket decisions based not on the will of the voter, but on how he thinks things should be. And because of the Republican majority in the legislature, everything he wants, he's likely to get. That's how Florida ended up with HB 1557, which Ron calls the Parental Rights and Education Bill, but is more commonly known as the Don't Say Gay Bill, where, and I quote, classroom instruction on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through grade three or in any manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards. DeSantis says it's inappropriate for children to be taught that they can be whatever they want to be. He says that kind of behavior isn't appropriate anywhere, but especially not in Florida. Critics point out that this legislation, which DeSantis has already planned to extend through high school, will hurt LGBTQ families and children, whose studies have already shown face higher health and suicide risk than their cisgender or straight peers. The Trevor Project, whose mission is to end suicide among LGBTQ youth, strongly condemned the signing of this bill, saying that it erases the LGBTQ identity, history, and culture, as well as the LGBTQ students themselves. The Trevor Project also pointed out that the parental notification requirement in the bill, which requires that parents be notified of any health or support services offered to their children, allowing them the chance to deny those services on behalf of their children, undermines the autonomy of the individual seeking help and could effectively require teachers to out LGBTQ students to their parents without their consent, without any thought as to whether or not those guardians would be supportive of the child. When thinking about this bill, how you feel about the LGBTQ community is actually irrelevant. If you don't think the government has the right to be all up in your personal business, then you should be deeply against this law. Disney didn't like this law, and when asked, they said so. And now I want to be clear that at first, this wasn't some bold or brave statement. 
In a capitalistic society, it's not uncommon for businesses to try and stay out of politics, but they're certainly allowed to express their support or opposition of a bill as part of their constitutionally protected free speech. So when the Don't Say Gay bill first came out, Disney's reaction was a little bit soft and a little bit late. They had to be directly asked how they felt about it, and their answer was a simple, no, we're not supportive of it. They weren't planning to do anything about it, but they did publicly say they weren't for it. Today, under a different CEO, Disney has become far more forthcoming, saying the bill should never have been passed and should never have been signed into law. They've even gone further to state, our goal as a company is for this law to be repealed by the legislature or struck down by the courts, and we remain committed to supporting the national and state organizations working to achieve this end. Disney says, we are dedicated to standing up for the rights and safety of the LGBTQ plus members of the Disney family, as well as the LGBTQ plus community in Florida and across the country. Returning CEO Bob Iger has told employees that inclusion and acceptance are amongst the core values of the company's storytelling, and he's not going to waver from that. They've also just decided to host the world's largest LGBTQ plus conference at Disney World this year to make it entirely clear to DeSantis which side they're on. So what started out passing as kind of like a not cool man to DeSantis has become way more of a you're in over your head buddy over the past couple of months. And that switch can probably be credited to DeSantis's actions following Disney's initial response to his bill. Again, you have to remember Disney's first take was pretty meek, so much so that the CEO at the time had to apologize to his employees for not responding earlier. But DeSantis took that initial response, as lame as it was, as a personal affront, basically saying, how dare you not publicly agree with me? I'll show you who's boss. And then he immediately started making plans for retribution. Again, just to bring this point home, the sitting governor of Florida, didn't like that a private company didn't wholeheartedly agree with his new bigoted bill. So he chose to publicly punish them for stepping out of line. Now, if you're someone who believes in free speech or the right to protest your government or the right for the government to have no say to punish private companies, then you should have a major problem with what happened next. To understand what DeSantis decided to do, you have to understand that Disney, one of the biggest employers in the state, has operated its theme parks and resorts in Florida under a specially designated district that lies between two Florida counties. This district, known as Reedy Creek Improvement District, was carved out in 1967 and was instrumental to Disney's decision to build in Orlando in the first place because it gave the Walt Disney Company broad authority over their own property. The agreement, which has been in place for almost 60 years, essentially allowed Disney to operate as a separate municipal government in Florida, giving them free reign over their own development, including zoning and infrastructure, and they even controlled their own fire department, road maintenance, and water. The Reedy Creek government was an appointed board who oversaw the area. But when the company dared to disagree with Ron DeSantis, the Republican legislature wrote and passed a bill to punish them and put an end to Disney's self-governing status giving the governor the authority to appoint an entirely new board. They renamed Reedy Creek to the Central Florida Tourism Oversight District, and DeSantis appointed five new supervisors, including the wife of a Republican operative and one of the founders of the far-right group Moms for Liberty, and three of his own mega-donors. So he didn't hire people with the experience to run a huge company or anyone with a background in municipal government. He put people he could control or owed favors to on the board. Ron was basically like, suck it, Disney. You publicly disagree with me? I'm going to fuck your company up. 
And as the Wall Street Journal said at the time, let this be a warning to other companies that if they try and impose their cultural values on Republicans, they'll risk losing Republicans as allies, allies who decide the policy issues that matter to their bottom lines, like regulation, trade, taxation, and antitrust and labor laws. So the entire thing was a public threat to companies to make sure that they towed the Republican line, which I hope I don't need to tell you is some pretty scary authoritarian shit. The choice to punish Disney, a private company with First Amendment rights, was broadly criticized by anyone who believes in free speech or the government not politically targeting private companies. But a number of prominent conservative outlets, like the Wall Street Journal and Fox News, fully supported this move. So did a lot of the uninformed and propagandized public, which we could see with the Disney bans and protests and people calling the Mouse House Nazis and groomers for daring to disagree with DeSantis or to support the LGBTQ people. But Disney wasn't going down without a fight. In fact, as Ron signed the bill to have his people take over the Reed Creek board, saying, very dramatically I might add, today the corporate kingdom comes to an end. There's a new sheriff in town, and accountability will be the order of the day. Unbeknownst to him, the current Reedy Creek board had already neutered their own power in two public hearings, leaving Ron's newly appointed board members with little to no authority beyond maintaining the roads and basic infrastructure. Ron and his appointees had been all over the state and the media bragging about how they were going to have the power to tailor the entertainment in the parks and have final say over Disney films and Disney television programs to make sure everything fell more in line with what they believed were proper family values. DeSantis said that Disney had lost its way and they, the representatives of the true American values, read straight white Christian values, were now at the helm. But it turns out they weren't. According to the agreement the old board signed, again in a public hearing in legal accordance with the Sunshine Law, the Reedy Creek Board signed over almost all of their powers to Disney proper, including developmental rights for the next 30 years and authority for any design improvements to the park or property. The agreement includes a clause that extends the restrictions on the new board's ability to regulate the region until, and I quote, 21 years after the death of the last survivor of the descendants of King Charles III of England. So, like, forever. The agreement also includes a declaration of restrictive covenants that bars the Reedy Creek District, again, now run by the DeSantis appointees, from using Disney's name, characters, symbols, or any other Disney-owned intellectual property. DeSantis and his people were blindsided by this turn of events, not because Disney was sneaky, because they held their hearings in public with all changes discussed and approved in open notice forums, but because Ron and his entire team of lawyers and experts were too busy taking a victory lap before their victory to pay attention to what was going on. DeSantis and his new board are obviously furious. Ron has called for an investigation from the state's chief inspector general. They've hired four separate law firms, and they're looking into both criminal and civil lawsuits. But they don't have much of a chance of winning. Ultimately, they just got outplayed. As Willy Wonka would say, you get nothing, you lose. Good day, sir. As Disney CEO Bob Iger says, a company has the right to freedom of speech, just like an individual. Any action that thwarts those efforts simply to retaliate against a position the company took is not only anti-business, but anti-Florida. It's important to note here 
that all the steps DeSantis is taking for retribution are taxpayer funded. He's using Florida's money and government personnel to fund his now losing vendetta. But not all companies are going to have the legal teams or resources Disney does. So this instinct to overstep and overreach and target private companies should be alarming, even to the most conservative American. DeSantis tried to use the power of the government to strip a private company of their rights. He dissolved their board and replaced their employees with his own people for daring to disagree with him. This is dictator-type behavior, and though it appears like he lost here, he's had far too many wins using the same I'll do it if I want to just try and stop me behavior. So I think it's very important to note when he fails. So we see him as fallible rather than some unstoppable mastermind that many, including our media, are trying to make him out to be. DeSantis terrifies people because he's the heir apparent to Trump. But unlike MAGA's current king, and despite this loss to Disney, he's not inept. The country flirted with autocracy under Trump, with the nepotism and the lying and the breaking of the laws. But like most of Trump's flirtations, he couldn't quite seal the deal. DeSantis, despite his shortcomings, shows us what can be done when someone with the same instincts has more discipline. Yes, Ron has the charisma of a turnip, but he's backed by billions, and billions can buy a lot of good press. At this point, he's basically been allowed to take full control of a U.S. state. And if we don't want to end up with whatever's happening in Florida going national, then we need to be very clear-eyed about what we're up against. So we're taking a quick break from talking about Florida to talk about a product that wants to help the environment so states like Florida don't get wiped out by climate change. I know it feels a bit jarring to interrupt what we're talking about to do what feels like an ad, but I want to be clear that without sponsors who invest in independent media like this, it would be impossible to keep doing this kind of deep dive work. I'm really grateful to companies who choose to sponsor shows like mine because independent work requires people who believe in it, and it makes it infinitely easier when I get to talk about a product that I believe in too. You've probably heard me talk about Lomi before. Lomi is a countertop electric composter that turns food scraps into dirt in under four hours. I know the planet is facing a major crisis, so any step I can take to limit my family's personal carbon footprint feels essential. The bottom line is we all make a ton of food waste. You don't realize it until you start collecting it to use in a product like the Lomi. Every vegetable cutting, leftover dinner, dead produce in my fridge goes in the Lomi. So instead of it ending up in a landfill, releasing methane into the air, it's composted down into nutrient-rich dirt you can feed to your plants or just throw in the garbage. Not a word of a lie, with the Lomi, our family went from three to four bags of garbage a week to one. I can't tell you how much I love this machine, and I keep repeating it because it's true. You need to get one, not just because they sponsor this show, but because it's actually an amazing product. And Pila, the company that makes the Lomi, walks the walk. They truly believe in helping the planet. That's why the first product they launched was the biodegradable iPhone case. If you want to join my family and start making a positive environmental impact in your own kitchen, then Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash politicsgirl and use the promo code politicsgirl to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to Lomi.com slash politicsgirl and use the promo code politicsgirl at checkout. Everyone should have one of these machines. I know you'll be happy that you got one. Now back to Ron. At the end of the day, DeSantis is a Make America Great Again white Christian nationalist. His wife, who quite frankly I see as the brains of the operation, is cosplaying as Jackie O to give Ron the illusion of a president-in-waiting. 
The Christian nationalists and evangelicals are talking about having visions and messages from God, anointing DeSantis as their new leader. And until recently, Rupert Murdoch had decided Trump was over and they would be pushing DeSantis exclusively on Fox News. As I said before, all of this, along with the majority in the Florida legislature, gives DeSantis a lot of unchecked power. So along with attacking the LGBTQIA plus community with book bans and the don't say gay bill, Florida has really gone all in on a lot of other laws, banning things that white Christian nationalists don't like. There are approximately 111,000 transgender people living in Florida, what comes out to be about a half a percentage of the total population. But this half a percent is getting an outsized amount of attention from lawmakers, with Republicans filing at least 18 bills that directly or indirectly target transgender people. These are bills around which bathrooms they can use, whether they get access to health care, how they're allowed to express themselves in public, including how they can dress and present. But the most genuinely terrifying bill is S0254, which would not only codify into law that acknowledging your trans child as trans would be considered child abuse, but it would also remove trans children from supportive parents' homes and place them in the custody of the state. Any custody agreement in which trans children were removed from non-supportive parents and placed with supportive parents would be voided under Florida law, even if that custody agreement didn't take place in Florida, which means that hypothetically, a transphobic parent could bring their trans kid to Florida, detransition them or subject them to conversion therapy, and it would be 100% legal. This bill also applies to any child considered at risk of transitioning, which, according to the law, would include anyone who lives in a house with a trans sibling or a trans parent. So if one kid comes out as trans, you have to hide them or lose all your kids. And if you happen to be trans yourself, this law would not only allow, but require the Florida child welfare system to take all your children because your very existence is considered abusive. I mean, land of the free, right? Ron and the Republicans have really leaned hard on the culture war issue since he ran for office back in 2018. But this is some next level stuff. These folks are not just blatantly anti-gay and anti-trans, they're almost certainly anti-black, since one of the other things DeSantis has focused his attention on is his anti-CRT, anti-black history rhetoric. You might remember DeSantis banning AP African American history from schools for being, quote, inexplicably contrary to Florida law and significantly lacking in educational value. This is the new Republican move to actively stoke social and political anxieties, particularly among white Americans around race and gender. In April 2022, DeSantis signed the Individual Freedom Act, also known as the Stop Woke Act, which severely limits race-based discussions at school and places strict limitations on the topics Florida employers can discuss at any DEI training or seminars. The act bans educational institutions and businesses from teaching students and employees anything that would cause anyone to feel guilt, anguish, or any form of psychological distress due to their race, color, sex, or national origin. It prohibits any employer with 15 or more employees from requiring employees to participate in any form of training that might make them feel any sort of way. This is basically, don't tell me things I don't want to know or talk about because it makes me feel bad and I just can't get over it law. Topics now off limits in Florida schools include, among other things, institutional or structural racism, reparations, 
Black Feminism, and the Movement for Black Lives, or Black Lives Matter. But the bills are deliberately written to be vague, by design, so people aren't entirely sure what's covered or not covered. As The Guardian writes, the vagueness serves at least two goals. First and foremost, it makes the laws hard to interpret, which leads those targeted, like teachers and principals, to be extra cautious. Second, the vagueness provides deniability, both to the courts and more moderate supporters. So it appears that the prime goal of this bill is not for the state to censor teachers in schools, but for them to censor themselves. This is why DeSantis and the Republicans only saw it as a minor setback when a Florida judge recently struck down the Stop Woke Act, calling it positively dystopian. As I said before, the damage was already done. Across the state, teachers and universities had already begun to self-censor. The University of Central Florida, for example, which is the state's largest university, removed all anti-racist statements from its departmental websites, and several of its professors canceled their scheduled courses on race out of fear of ending up on the wrong side of the law. The same thing is happening in elementary and high schools. On top of limiting what children can learn in schools, bills like HB 1467 monitor what you can read. Again, the laws are so deliberately vague that people don't know what books are off limits. And since giving a child access to the wrong book could now come with a third-degree felony charge and the possibility of losing your teaching license, no one wants to mess it up. So they're choosing to censor their own shelves rather than run afoul of the law. The Florida Department of Education's press secretary says, The state of Florida doesn't ban books. There's no list of banned books. But according to PEN America a free speech advocacy organization, last year books were banned in at least 32 states, including Florida. And as the director of the American Library Association's Office for Intellectual Freedom says, there might not be an actual list, but it's disingenuous to say that the state's not responsible when they've created laws and regulations that have created an environment of fear and civil liability around books. So when you see the images of empty library shelves, it's because librarians and teachers are erring on the side of caution while the books are either approved or denied. Florida has gone so far as to mandate librarians go through specific training to avoid selecting books and instructional materials that violate any kind of law. Now, despite the majority of unacceptable books having to do with Black, Brown, and LGBTQ stories in history, the argument keeps coming back to this idea that they're simply banning pornography from elementary school children. And while I understand right-wing parents are focusing on one specific graphic novel that does include sex acts, the pro-book ban people are acting as if every school library has a subscription to Penthouse on their shelves. I'm pretty sure books that include the story of Roberto Clemente or Ruby Bridges or the Holocaust aren't pornography, but they can't be read in Florida because they include topics that make people feel, you guessed it, guilt, anguish, or psychological distress. The argument for book bans is that stores like Barnes & Noble still exist, so if you want a book, then go get it there. If you can still buy it, you can't consider it banned. But that completely ignores the fact that buying books is cost-preventative for many, and the vast majority of books deemed inappropriate or divisive simply come down to social and historical contexts in which they were set. Right now in Florida, you can't teach about racism. So you can talk about Rosa Parks, but not why she wouldn't move seats when she was asked. Which, without context, just kind of makes her look like an asshole rather than the civil rights icon she actually was. But the government of Florida isn't just limiting what you can read or learn in school. They're limiting what you can talk about. 
State universities made diversity, equity, and inclusion a priority about two years ago, shortly after the murder of George Floyd and the subsequent call for racial equity in America. Leaders from the state's university system and the boards of governors solidified their goals in a 2020 memo, saying the state university system of Florida had a long-standing commitment to promote, respect for, appreciation of all diverse cultures, nationalities, and communities. It went on to say a university's strategic plan, as well as its mission statement, should prioritize diversity, equity, and inclusion, and provide clear direction for the total integration of DEI initiatives throughout the institution. And Ron and his friends were like, nah. And they wrote legislation that would directly counter that, banning colleges and universities from spending money, regardless of if it was a grant or given to the school for that specific purpose, for anything that had to do with DEI, critical race theory, or anything else they deemed inappropriate. DeSantis called DEI a tactic by liberal elites who want to indoctrinate people while Republican House Speaker Paul Renner said he hoped to stop colleges and universities from promoting an aggressively ideological agenda under the guise of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And just so we're all on the same page, because acronyms are thrown around indiscriminately these days until they have almost no meaning, diversity is a blanket term for the many things that make people unique. That includes anything from age and race to ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, but it also includes religions, political beliefs, languages, work experiences, incomes, educational backgrounds, and physical abilities. Equity means ensuring that everyone has access to needed resources and acknowledging that people's needs differ, especially if someone comes from a historically disadvantaged background. It should be noted that equity is different from the term equality, which means everyone should be treated the same. Inclusion means differences are respected and everyone is welcome to participate. So according to Ron and his fellow Republicans, these programs that teach people that we're all unique and worthy, deserving of the same access, resources, and respect should be defunded and removed because they are bad. HB 999, the bill that would ban state colleges and universities from using funds to promote, support, and maintain any programs on campus that espouse diversity, equity, or inclusion, or critical race theory, again, has deliberately vague language. So it could essentially end up banning any activities promoted by any multicultural student union on campus. So as of May 5th, the following things are on the chopping block at Florida colleges. All African-American sororities and fraternities. All Latin sororities and fraternities. All Jewish study courses, both majors and minors. All feminist theory courses, both majors and minors. All gender study courses, both majors and minors. The centers and programs for black students. The centers and programs for Latin students. The centers and programs for Asian and AIPI students. And of course, and not surprisingly, the centers for programs for LGBTQIA students. So if it's not for white kids, or it could make white people feel uncomfortable, HB 999 says it has to go. I mean, if you can't see the makings of white straight Christian supremacy here, your eyes are deliberately closed. This idea that white Christians are under a cultural and demographic attack that requires defending is now a key tenant of the Republican Party platform. This idea that they need to safeguard their way of life because it's under direct threat from those who would steal their culture and heritage gives them the permission structure to justify stealing other people's culture and heritage as a form of defense. 
This idea that communities need to protect themselves from those looking to steal their way of life and corrupt their children is the new Republican way, and nowhere is that more apparent than in Florida. As Jason Stanley, American philosopher and professor at Yale who wrote How Fascism Works says, these are the kind of ideas that end up leading to the justification of political violence or stripping people of their rights. This idea that we, the dominant group, are under attack, and it's these threats that have forced us to respond in these ways. This kind of behavior is by nature classically fascist. It's the idea of us and them, and the identification of them as the enemy out to get you. If we look at it like that, then we end up in a position where the leader, his party, and the people like him become privileged in society, while those deemed other are punished and isolated from society. It's the fear of attack that ultimately turns people towards a leader who promises to protect them from the attack. The attack that they are told is threatening their very existence. DeSantis has recently called Florida the Citadel of Freedom, but it's very clear that freedom isn't for everyone. DeSantis has exerted more executive power over the Florida legislature and state agencies than anyone before him, emerging as a mini-autocrat who requires loyalty at all times. As experts in authoritarian behavior point out, DeSantis does classic strongman things, like using children as props, moving any adult who could be potentially perceived as a rival off-screen so he alone occupies center stage. He fills his social media with presidential images of himself surrounded by flags or standing at podiums, and he occasionally allows himself to be photographed with the people. Like I said, his wife is dressing like first ladies of days past, or more recently like a royal princess, complete with over-the-elbow white gloves. Ron refuses to have press at his events he hasn't approved and only answers questions that are pre-screened. DeSantis seems keen to turn Florida into a replica of Viktor Orban's Hungary. Both men stand for the same thing an extremist agenda that continues to elevate white straight Christians while suppressing the rights and histories of non-whites, non-Christians, and persecuting the LGBTQIA communities. To this end, DeSantis has been weaponizing the law to create a future that, as he said about Disney, is more in line with real American values. And there seems to be a lot of rich white people on board for this plan. And I'm not just talking about the ones living or moving to Florida, but the ones looking to take what he's doing in Florida national. Dozens of billionaires are donating to DeSantis with the hope that he might be able to deliver the MAGA promise to make America great again with less emotion and less drama than his predecessor. In December 2021, Jason Stanley argued in The Guardian that American fascism is currently in its legal phase, with extremist agendas and ideological fanaticism being enshrined into law. DeSantis himself is a lawyer by trade and knows what the far-right elites behind him want. He may have less charisma than Trump, but he's far more calculating. And as a bureaucrat, he's proving he can deliver. In the same Guardian article, Stanley argues that this history of racism in the U.S. already gives us fertile ground for fascism because we have a history of committing atrocities to serve ourselves and haven't yet taken the time or humility to heal or honestly learn from our behaviors. These attacks Republicans are making on our courts, our education, our right to vote, our women's rights, are all steps on the path to toppling democracy. And it's no wonder they don't want us learning our history, because we might learn not to repeat it. Stanley talks about a speech that Toni Morrison made in 1995 entitled Racism and Fascism, which broke down step-by-step -step procedures to carry a society from one to the other. 
At the time, she said, let us be reminded that before there is a final solution, there must be a first solution. The move towards a final solution is not a jump. It takes one step, then another, then another. Morrison spoke about fascist solutions to national problems, and Stanley points out that 25 years later, the forces interested in fascist solutions are closer than ever to winning their fight in America. The contemporary American fascist movement is led by oligarchical interests, those same billionaires bankrolling people like DeSantis, who see the public good as an impediment to their own power and security. Stanley points out, as in all fascist movement, these forces found a popular leader unconstrained by the rules of democracy and got behind him in the figure of Donald Trump. But if Donald Trump goes down, the fascist movement in America isn't over. It simply needs a new figurehead. Stanley has spent a decade writing about the way politicians and movement leaders employ propaganda, including fascist propaganda, to win elections and gain power. He says that those who employ fascist tactics do so from a place of cynicism. They don't really believe the enemies they target are as bad as they say. It's simply a means to an end. But eventually there comes a tipping point where rhetoric becomes policy. And that's the point we're at now. Look at the big lie. This idea that the 2020 election was stolen. It wasn't stolen. There was no proof it was stolen. In fact, there's endless proof that every politician, media personality, and lawyer talking about it knew it was a lie. And yet the idea of a stolen election restructured our institutions, particularly our electoral infrastructure. We now have more than 500 new voter suppression laws than we did in 2020 because of this propagandized idea that the elections weren't safe. We allowed lies, lies that benefited one group, to become laws that affect us all. Just after DeSantis signed his open carry bill behind closed doors against the will of the people, he introduced a new bill to revamp state election laws that would force first-time voters to vote in person and make it almost impossible for organizations to register people to vote. This is voter suppression through and through. After Gen Z showed up for the last election, Republicans immediately started talking about raising the voting age to 21. Now DeSantis, who's already removed polling station from college campuses, making it harder for that age group to vote, has added yet another hurdle for young or new voters to jump through. Now this law may or may not pass, but what it tells us about the Republicans' plan for voters should be very clear and very alarming. What's also alarming is DeSantis's newest request for $98 million to fund his own private defense force or more specifically, his own hand-picked secret police to carry out his agenda. At the exact same time he's passing bills to cut down on government transparency and make it impossible for people to see what he's spending money on, he wants his own militia. DeSantis revived the Florida State Guard, which was originally created for home defense during World War II, last year, and now he wants to expand it from 400 soldiers to 1,500 soldiers. He says it's so they can help with emergency response measures and back the Florida National Guard. But unlike the Florida National Guard, which can be called up by the president, the State Guard owes nothing to the federal government and answers to the governor alone. As Jason Stanley points out, we are already training our police as warriors, militarized, heavily armed with their own set of rules, and unofficially that group has already replaced the American flag with their own thin blue line flag, showing us where their loyalty lies. Now DeSantis wants his own personal military who's only loyal to him. 
Stanley reminds us that in Nazi Germany, the SS began as a group of violent Nazi supporters, much like the Proud Boys, before becoming an independent arm of the government itself. The Hitler regime used violent law and order to create a culture of fear that influenced all state institutions. As Timothy Snyder writes in On Tyranny, for violence to transform not just the atmosphere but the system itself, the emotions of the rallies and the ideology of exclusion have to be incorporated into the training of the guards. Ron is trying to set up and train his own set of guards as we speak. It all comes back to building a story and selling it to the people over and over until they can justify whatever it takes, even violence, so long as it promises to give them what they have been programmed to believe is rightfully theirs. The Nazis themselves recognized that the language of family, faith, morality, and homeland could be used to justify almost any action against an enemy who represented the perceived opposition to those things. The central message of Nazi politics was to demonize a chosen group of enemies, in their case, the alliance of communists and Jews, but also the disabled, the gay, and the transgender, so that people could ultimately justify the criminal actions that would be taken against those people. Look at how the Democrats are continually called radical, evil, pedophiles, baby killers. They don't even really call us Democrats anymore. They just call us the left. Look at how gay and trans people are demonized as groomers and monsters out to get your children. Look how black Americans and immigrants have always been perceived. Much like Trump did, DeSantis wants an enemy he can justify doing anything to. He wants us fighting each other over meaningless things like wokeness so we don't notice that he's busy taking over everything from election infrastructure to private businesses to education. DeSantis surrounds himself with yes-men. He fills important positions with his most ardent supporters. He only allows supportive press to cover him and removes anyone who might make him look anything other than the strongman he's trying to present. And yet the media continues to normalize him both sides in the issues and not calling out the blatant and terrifying changes Florida is undergoing. Stanley points out, for a far-right party to become viable in a democracy, it has to present a face it can defend as moderate and cultivate an ambiguous relationship with even the most extreme views and statements. Hitler believed that democracy undermined the natural selection of ruling elites, but he, just like Mussolini and Putin and Orban, all understood the need to engage in democracy in order to gain power. What we have to remember is once these authoritarian types have power, they're able to undermine democracy from the inside until there's no one left to stop them. As the leader of the Third Reich, Hitler attempted to not only control all political power, but also to dominate institutions that were previously independent of the state, like the courts, the churches, universities, social clubs, youth groups, Fascism is also known to be quite sexist, to intertwine religion and government, to have a disdain for intellectuals and the arts, to be rampant with cronyism and corruption, and to take control of the media, so the story of what they're actually doing remains out of reach. So DeSantis naming a Supreme Court justice to the bench after private meetings that no one can talk about, placing loyalists everywhere from university and school boards to private company boards, for him to be making laws around what people can teach and read and learn, and if his new law passes, who's allowed to even gather, should be setting off major alarm bells. He's already limited who can vote, whose vote counts, and whose voices are heard and amplified. DeSantis's handling of the pandemic, though constantly held up as a shining example of success, was in truth 
awful, including literally being caught selling vaccines to rich donors instead of giving them to the elderly and lying about the infection rates and death counts so we could keep the state open while others were responsibly closed. Part of that choice included having the entire state open for spring break in both 2020 and 2021, which forced local mayors to impose curfews and other states to deal with the medical fallout when people returned home. His entire administration is, in many ways, defined by its corruption and lack of oversight. It's a dictator's paradise in Florida, and the warning signs for fascism are all there. I understand people don't want to see it, but closing your eyes to something doesn't make it less real. And if this guy is really who his party plans to coalesce behind once Trump is out of the picture, then we need to be clear-eyed about what the Republican Party not only supports in Florida, but would unleash on the entire country. Ron's success in Florida is mirrored by Abbott's success in Texas. What we're seeing unfold in Tennessee and Oklahoma and Arkansas, this attack on voting rights and women's rights and the LGBTQ community is contagious. This villainization of anyone who isn't straight and conservative, or in most cases, white, straight, conservative, and Christian, is deeply problematic. What started as lies and propaganda is now becoming legislation and law. And with each new bill, we move further and further away from a free society. Politicians have long run for office by promising laws to protect people who are afraid, all the while knowing they're the ones making sure people are afraid. These people maintain the pretense of rule of law while projecting their own violations of it onto their opponents. They're breaking the law and they're stealing elections and they're silencing your voice which goes back to the idea that everything the Republicans say about Democrats is a projection of what they themselves are doing. As Hitler's propaganda minister Joseph Goebbels so famously said, accuse the other side of that which you are guilty. Look no further than DeSantis's response to Trump's recent indictment. He publicly claimed that the legal system had been weaponized for political agenda, mentioning the Democratic donor George Soros multiple times, which of course is basically his way of saying the Jews did this, and then went on to say that Florida would not assist with an extradition request and will protect Trump if he needs it. If anyone is weaponizing the government for a political agenda, it would be the sitting governor defying the Constitution and the law to protect a politician from his own party for answering for his own crimes. I swear it's like we live in the upside down. There is so much more I could tell you about what Ron is doing in Florida, like forcing through a six-week ban on abortion in opposition to the people and the OBGYNs who keep telling him doing so will put patients' lives at risk. SB 300, which just passed the Florida Senate, also threatens doctors with criminalization, siphons off $25 million in taxpayer funds to set up anti-abortion clinics that will give medically inaccurate and potentially dangerous information to people about pregnancy, and the bill will only further exacerbate an already existing shortage of OBGYNs in Florida. All around the country, we're finding people don't want to practice medicine somewhere where their patients have to suffer and die unnecessarily or where they could end up in jail or like teachers losing their licenses and careers just for doing their jobs. I could tell you DeSantis is targeting the Orlando Philharmonic, claiming that the subsidiary group hosted a sexually explicit show in the presence of children. Except Florida law enforcement sent a squad of undercover agents to a drag queen Christmas, the show in question, that had been part of the community for nearly a decade, and the agents came back and reported, in writing, that they'd witnessed nothing inappropriate, nothing indecent, or nothing lewd. But DeSantis went ahead and filed the claim anyway. 
saying the nonprofit exposed children to sexual conduct and should lose their liquor license, which would essentially put the entire organization out of business. So DeSantis isn't just using the power of the government to target businesses that challenge him, like Disney. He's using the power of the government to target private businesses he just doesn't like. I could tell you that DeSantis has backed a bill, making it a second and third degree felony for people to have an undocumented person in their car or home, even if they're related. People found in violation of this law will face up to 15 years in prison. Think that one through. There's a lot of undocumented people in America, but Ron's not passing laws to punish the companies or people hiring them, just the people letting them sleep in their homes or giving them a ride to church or on the bus. Saying nothing for the amount of farm workers and nannies and housekeepers and dishwashers and valets working in Florida. How will we even know someone's immigration status? Will there be an immigration police force going around asking for papers? Does that sound problematic to you? I could tell you that the DeSantis spokeswoman was just caught being an undeclared agent of the post-Soviet nation of Georgia, or that he just hired a speechwriter who's a big fan of known white nationalist Nick Fuentes, who believes women should have no authority over men and have no business in politics. I could remind you that a school principal in Florida was just forced to resign for showing sixth grade students Michelangelo's David in art class. There are so many things happening in Florida that it's like a fire hose of bad news that also checks all the boxes on the march to fascism. But on top of all those things, I could also just tell you that Ron's just doing a terrible job of running his state. As Time Magazine pointed out recently, we get so caught up in the human rights stuff, we almost forget to look at the basic governing. And unless you're a donor with a seven-figure income or a plush investment portfolio, Florida is failing by almost every measure that matters to the lives of its citizens. In the four years DeSantis has been governor, Florida has been near the bottom of state rankings for health care, school funding, long-term elder care, teacher salaries, and unemployment benefits. Corporate wage theft is flourishing in Florida, while DeSantis himself campaigned against the ballot initiative to raise the state's minimum wage. As Time points out, DeSantis weaponizes the culture wars to distract people from what he's really doing, which is starving the programs geared towards bettering the lives of ordinary citizens so he can maintain low taxes on the wealthy and corporations. Florida is a dream state for privileged Americans who don't want to pay their fair share of taxes. It has no income tax for individuals, and its corporate tax rate of 5.5% is one of the lowest in the nation. The Orlando Sentinel did a story in late 2019 that revealed that 99% of Florida companies pay no corporate income tax at all. This is a statistic that shows up in many of the Republican-led states. Distract people with wokeness or CRT or whatever while you decimate healthcare and public education and crucial government services so you can prioritize wealthy individuals and corporations. We're not talking about Florida's tax policy if we're busy talking about Ron flying plane loads of migrants to Martha's Vineyard. And that's the point. We need to be aware that authoritarianism is rising in the red states of America. And DeSantis, despite challenges from people like Christy Nome, Glenn Youngkin, and Greg Abbott, is the one leading the pack and the one already acting like a dictator. A DeSantis presidency, should it come to that, would be far more dangerous than a Trump presidency ever was. Because despite the fact that Trump caused us endless grief and divided the people and ripped off the taxpayers and broke the law and people's trust in their government, at the end of the day, he was just a two-bit grifter looking out for himself. A con man and a gangster who didn't care about American democracy and had no plans beyond cashing in and being untouchable by the law. 
DeSantis, but more specifically the people funding and supporting DeSantis, have far more sinister plans for the country, and you don't need to look any further than what's already happening in Florida to see it. Republicans are freaking out about losing the Wisconsin Supreme Court election, not just because they see the passion and fight of their opposition, who had been all but shut out of that state by their corrupt one-party rule, but because they know that they can't win the electoral vote in that state without the Supreme Court being in the bag. They're literally on TV saying the quiet part out loud. Charlie Kirk just said, the election results decrease our chances of being able to win the White House. And this is what we need to get serious about. The Republicans are no longer playing to win. They're rigging the game so they can't lose. And then they're forcing their preferred way of life onto the rest of us using laws and legislation while distracting us with fear and division. Look what's happening in Tennessee. Six people were shot to death at their school. The majority of the state wants common sense gun legislation, but the Republican legislature doesn't care what the people want. When three Democratic representatives stood with the protesters after being continually silenced from bringing up the topic of mass shootings, they were not only censured and locked out of their place of work, but the two black members were expelled from their jobs. These are elected representatives being removed from elected office by the opposition. It's anti-democratic and it's anti-American and it's exactly how the Republicans are looking to run the show if we allow them to continue to have this kind of power. Banning everything you don't like, silencing voices who don't agree with you, making laws to favor one group or point of view over another, while quietly cutting all programs that help the people to favor the select few, that's not democracy and it isn't American. So when people quote the DeSantis shadow presidential slogan, make America Florida, you need to know exactly what they mean when they say that. The good news is... Despite all the money the Republicans have put into making Ron palatable to people, no matter how many costume changes and photo ops his wife Svengali's into existence, no matter how many laws he passes to undermine people and silence his distractors, he's not a very good leader. His stance on Ukraine puts him at odds with the leadership of his party and the good of the world order. He's weak and he's small and he's afraid. He shields himself from the media because he's not ready for prime time. He might have smoked Charlie Crist to get reelected, but the debate between them showed how out of his league he really is. Take that man out of his bubble and he doesn't have what it takes. At the end of the day, he's a political coward who responds badly to criticism and only listens to his donors. Now, that doesn't mean he's not a threat because the people behind him are a threat, but it does mean he can be defeated. They all can. We just need to understand that there are people who want to rig elections and control private businesses and reverse women's rights and gay rights and civil rights. These are the people encouraging people like Ron to undo workers' rights and human rights, to return us to a time before the New Deal, where the real elites, not the ones Democrats are made out to be, but the ones buying news networks and social media sites and poisoning us with opiates and gas spills, the ones taking Supreme Court justices on 500,000 dollar vacations. They want to take us back to a time where they decide the rules and they decide which people matter and which people don't. It's not woke that's dying in Florida. It's freedom. Freedom of speech. Freedom to assemble. Freedom to protest. Freedom to criticize your government. Where woke goes to die means where respect and understanding have no place. 
where acceptance and fairness are forgotten and the government works for the favored few. We have to wake up. Liberty and justice are supposed to be for all of us. And if you're not standing against this behavior now, then you are supporting the destruction of everything that makes America, America. So that's it. We see you, Ron. Despite the cover you're getting from the media and the power brokers and the Republican establishment who back you, we see you. We see you and your fellow red leaders, and we firmly reject what you are offering us. No thanks. America is for all of us, and it'll take all of us working together to make this terrible run to authoritarianism stop. I want to thank you guys for joining me today and for caring enough about democracy to be here. Now go out and make the world a better place. Until next week, PGR. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.